This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 40. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 40 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today we're speaking with Peter Bishop and Katie King, professional futurists, to talk about Teach the Future, an organization providing educators with the materials to introduce futures thinking into classrooms. The people at Teach the Future also design and facilitate professional development for educators and workshops for students and support administrators and leaders ready to incorporate futures thinking into schools. Peter is founder and executive director of Teach the Future. He led the University of Houston Master's in Foresight program for 30 years and wrote Teaching About the Future with his colleague Andy Hines. Katie is director of strategic foresight engagement with KnowledgeWorks, managing strategic foresight projects and partnerships, co-designing and delivering workshops, and contributing to KnowledgeWorks publications about the future of learning. Katie has previously served as a consulting futurist for various nonprofit organizations and taught middle school English in Texas and California. So welcome to the podcast, Peter and Katie. It's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here too, Lynn and Randy. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Glad to be here. So let's start the conversation with a personal story from each of you about how you got connected to and became so passionate about the future, about being a futurist. Sure, let me get started. Uh, in my day, get, becoming a futurist, my own personal story was absolutely dumb luck. <laughs> I uh, there was there was no there were no degrees in, in the United States or anywhere in the world until the 1970s, and the University of Houston Clear Lake created such a degree when futures was a very hot topic uh, in the world. Lots of change going on. The 70s, we remember how much fun that was. And I landed at the University of Houston Clear Lake, a branch campus of the University of Houston, to teach statistics, which I did for seven or eight years, but found that they had this program in future studies. And I had gotten a degree in sociology to study social change. It only took me about eight years to kind of go, oh, future change, future change. Oh, I could do that. And uh, they said, yeah, okay, why don't you run the program? Generally in academia, uh, you generally have to do all the work if you're the chair of the program. So I took that over and taught that for 30 years. So I was very fortunate to have landed exactly at the one degree granting institution that studied the future. So that's my story. So mine was also somewhat circuitous. I um, was a teacher at the time teaching, teaching middle school. And I think my interest in the future and in this field really came from a sense of, of disillusionment. I was in a, a school where I had a lot of autonomy. I had a wonderful principal and administration and really was able to be creative in my teaching and yet still felt 
as if I wasn't able to do everything that I wanted to do and that my students weren't able to do everything that they needed and wanted to do uh, in their own learning journeys. And so that feeling of constraint just led me to, to ask a lot of questions about how I wanted to influence education and learning. Um, and I decided if I wanted to have some influence over the future of education, that maybe I should understand something about the future and about change. And um, so that led me to start taking some classes at the University of Houston in the Foresight program and ultimately decided to get my degree, uh, my master's degree in, in that field while I was still teaching and then have had the great fortune of working with KnowledgeWorks to apply a lot of that learning and, and my experience in the classroom to help other people think about what they might want for the future. So one of the things that's probably not clear to our listeners is that you are related <laughs> father <laughs> daughter so katie don't don't tell us that there was like no influence from your father it was a little home it was a little home influence on the future way back when it, right that i knew that the field existed i think certainly <laughs> was the influence but i i definitely did not at any point until i really started the program have any sense that 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 was going to be part of my path so it was um it was certainly helpful to know that the field existed and to have some sense of, of what it was about. Um, but it was as much a surprise to me as, as everyone else that I had, that I followed that, that journey and, and kind of followed in those footsteps. Kind of the family business as it were. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Katie's mother also has the degree from the UH Clear Lake. She, she ended up as an educational administrator, quite a visionary and a terrific leader in numbers of schools throughout her 40 years career. So yeah, I would say we are the family of the future for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right. So back to Peter, this uh, organization called Teach the Future. Talk to us about that. How did it come about and what kinds of work you've been doing around the globe? Well, that's been a little more intentional than my first uh, foray into future studies. I retired from the university in 2013. Uh, my colleague, Andy Hines, who graduated from the university in uh, early 90s and was a consulting futurist, both inside and outside large corporations, uh, joined uh, our faculty as an adjunct in 2005. We moved to the central campus of the University of Houston and he got his doctorate in December of 2012 and wanting to capture him before he found another a better offer, I announced my retirement in January of 2013, <laughs> almost immediately. And he was very happy to, to you know, become a full-time academic and he still does a lot of research and consulting nevertheless. So I founded the corporation 20, in 2015 uh, figuring that I don't play golf and I don't fish. So I had to do something that was meaningful and interesting. And I thought continuing my, my association with the futures field, which of course I've loved and have been my professional home for all this time. And I realized that the, that in those, in the 2013s, uh, the future studies was really catching on. It had become much more sustainable. We had hundreds of people in our association of professional futurists. Uh, the graduate program was doing very well, as were a half a dozen other programs around the world. We had created a certificate program and were doing maybe 100 adults a year uh, through that one-week program. And, uh, but I realized nobody was talking to young people. Nobody was talking to high school students and, and, or college students. And frankly, when we begin the process, whether it's in the graduate program or in a certificate program, of acquainting people with the future, the first thing we have to do is unlearn them 
what they learned about the future in school, uh, that it was predictable, that it was deterministic. And so we're all about alternatives and, and indeed about choices. So we figured the better way to do that would be to teach them how to think about the future early on, particularly in secondary school and on and through college undergraduates. So that has become my mission since 2013 to, to try and bring exactly what we were teaching in graduate schools and, and adults and seminars appropriately, you know, pedagogically uh, uh, adjusted to the, to the age group. But uh, we think that's an absolute necessity. So we want the future, frankly, to be as common in schools as the past is. A lot of teaching about the past in, in schools, which we should. That's where the culture is, where the traditions are, where the lessons of history are. But turn around the timeline, 180 degrees, and say, well, yeah, but what are we going to do with that? And how are we going to understand the future and get ready for it? So that's our mission at Teach the Future. And that's a perfect segue to you, Katie, to talk about um, recently the published book, Futures Thinking Playbook, a book designed to bring futures thinking to children. And this book uh, looks pretty exciting. Um, the challenges that students can embark upon. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you see this book being utilized. So I brought a lot of my, what I liked to use in the classroom to, to the experience of writing the book. And so I think it can be used as an entire, an entire book from beginning to end. If, if a teacher wants to work with their students through the challenges and the exercises, they're going to have an experience where they're doing research, where they're thinking creatively and critically about the future, where they're asking a lot of questions and uh, and building some some really important skills while exploring the possibilities of the future. But we also designed it so that you could pull pieces out if there's something that's that's interesting that fits into possibly a unit that you're already doing. Um, we, we wanted those exercises and those challenges to also be modular and able to be incorporated. And I think that that's one of the things that we try and say about futures thinking is that in a lot of ways, it's a mindset and it's a way of seeing the world and it's sets of skills um, more than it is about the content. And so it can be really incorporated and woven through any number of things that that teachers in schools are already doing. So that was that was our aim with the playbook to, to create a resource that people people could pick up and use if they wanted to or to pick and choose and incorporate into other things that they may be already working on. So give us an example for our listeners who might be thinking, oh, this sounds like a book I should um, pick up to take a look at. What might they find in there? What might be a connection to something they could use in the classroom? So I think the the sections on the research sections can can be really applicable to a lot of different a lot of different content areas and a lot of different types of projects. So we we guide students through looking for information about trends. So what are things that are already happening that have been happening over time that we might then be able to use to inform our ideas about what the future might be like. But then we also invite them to look at alternatives. What is uh, what are some other sources of information? What are some glimmers of possibility? Things that may not be consistent with those trends that point to a different type of future. And so I think that really opens up some interesting research skills looking for, for information that may actually challenge our thinking or challenge what we believe to be true. And then having conversations about it and trying to unpack that and using that research and that information to, to inform new ideas that we might not have thought of before. 
Let me jump in here. My favorite is actually an icebreaker exercise at the very beginning where students reflect on their own approach to the future and answer two questions. Uh, how open or closed do you think the future is? Basically, whether you're a determinist or kind of an open future and how much influence a person has over the future, a lot or a little. And that creates a little two by two matrix and Katie's uh, identified four roles for those. And uh, it's a, I've used that actually myself in an elementary school. And it was really, really good. Students got into great discussions about, you know, whether the future was open or closed and how much influence they thought they would have both now and as adults. So there's a lot of really wonderful little gems in the book in my estimation. And so I, th I think a lot of the plays, as I was looking through the book too, find that they really tap into a lot of those broader aims that we look for in school now, that seems to be a trend. So we're getting beyond just school as this like content knowledge disseminator, and we want kids to build skills and dispositions and things like that. And I think a lot of the plays uh, that uh, the book walks through um, for those using it really help develop those things. Talk to us a little bit more about that, Peter. How does this idea of thinking about the future help to develop things like creativity, critical thinking, problem solving? Actually, I uh, when I'm do when I'm discussing uh, the larger context that that we believe that we're working in, and you've identified it already. Information today is a commodity; it's uh, instantly available, accessible at little to no cost. So, so teaching facts in general, you have to have facts. The students can get those facts almost immediately on their computers, on their on their phones, and their mobile devices. The big question is, what do you do with those facts? And that's a skill. So shifting from 80% emphasis on the text where the facts are to 80% emphasis on the skills of what you do when you find things and when you know things and things like that. So we believe that thinking about the future, of course, is a skill. It, there are no facts about the future. In fact, that's a great way to introduce skills into schools because there's no text to retreat to. There's no temptation on the part of struggling teachers, love them, you know, every single one, uh, to say, well, let's open to chapter six and, you know, because I need a break and let's just read what's there. There is no chapter six. And in that sense, everybody is kind of required to uh, look at the, at, at the future as an open-ended investigation, doing the kind of thinking that Katie talked about, identifying trends and investigating them, thinking critically and creatively about them and what could happen instead. Uh, those are the kinds of skills that we want to uh, we want to emphasize. So I believe that futures thinking and the and the playbook and specifically is a great way to introduce skills for students who uh, who may not be getting as much of that in school as we educators would perhaps like them to. So I think one of the things that I like the most about the playbook and and before the playbook was a thing when I was still in the classroom I did some some futures thinking with my students. And, and one of my favorite parts about it was that we could get at creativity and critical thinking at the same time. I often felt as if I had to choose one or the other. Okay, we're working on creativity now, we're working on critical thinking now. But when you're trying to think about possibilities for the future, particularly when you're creating a narrative about it, whether it's a scenario of a future possibility or, or some kind of image of what the future might be like, that requires an understanding of the possibilities that are grounded in real either trends or signals of change 
but then extrapolating those out in a way that can be really challenging and really, really requires us to, to work our creativity muscles, to, to push those out beyond what might feel plausible or comfortable right now. Um, and so I really found that students were able to, to work both of those skills at the same time using futures thinking in a way that I struggled to, to come up with opportunities for them to do in, in other in other types of exercises or, or units that we may have been working on. I'd like to share a, a futures family story about that. My favorite story, Katie was just a new seventh grade, I think seventh or eighth grade reading and writing teacher. And she said, Dad, what you're a futurist, what should I be preparing my students for? And I talked about alternatives and critical thinking and, and context and all those kinds of things. About three months later, I get a text from her and she said, a girl started her answer to my question in class today with, it depends. I love that. <laughs> it depends. She was thinking alternatives even before she opened her mouth, which is so different because getting the right answer, unfortunately, is still our addiction in education. It's how you get the A by coming up with the right answer, whether it's history or science or geography or math. Uh, and there are multiple answers to most of the interesting questions. And we don't really allow students to think about the context and what it, what their answer depends on, their assumptions, their values, and those kinds. Well, getting to that level of meta learning, I thought was was really brilliant, Kate. Congratulations. <laughs> nice to have someone to celebrate your success so close <laughs> to home, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Sharing the passions. All right. So, Peter, let's shift back over to you. Um, you already mentioned one example from, from the book, the two by two matrix. What are some other examples of how futures thinking is already embedded in some school curricula, whether it's here or in the US or you know, somewhere else around the world? Well, I have to tell you that five and a half years in, uh, we have assembled a wonderful group of people. We have uh, around the world what we call hubs, which are people who are dedicated to promoting futures thinking. Our primary hub is in Europe, uh, run by a uh, a, a terrific woman who came out of the university and is now actually doing foresight at the European Commission. She's created a lot of opportunities in the Netherlands. We have hubs in Mexico and Brazil and South Africa and people in more than 20 different countries who are promoting the future. That's the good news. The bad news is, unfortunately, that education is what the military calls a hard target. Um, my wife told me a long time ago, she said, this is great what you're doing. I support it 100%. Well, of course, you're going to fail. But other than that, keep going. Uh, because it was really hard to get into not just the mindset, uh, not just the behavior of teachers, but into the educational system, which, as we all know, unfortunately, is highly insulated from change and is generally considered to be an institution that is dedicated to tradition passing on the information and the wisdom of the past more than it is trying to create and innovate uh, for the future. So um, we have very few schools who are actually adopting it. I have a terrific school in Toronto, which is a K-8 private school. They've adopted not just future studies, they had already adopted project-based learning, and it had fit perfectly in there. They did the units on the future of water and the future of technology. And the, the founder of that school told me recently, she said, we don't even bring up the future anymore. It comes up by itself. It's just automatic in our mindset. Uh, we've got schools in Europe 
and, uh, and other places uh, around the world. Still, the number of times that I can say, oh, this school is teaching the future is still very, very small. But nevertheless, that's where you start. And that's where we keep, keep working. So as we get to the final lap of our interview, we have some rapid response or what we call lightning response questions. And I think uh, you're all ready to answer them. So we'll start with the first one. Uh, who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about futures thinking, whether it's inside or outside the K-12 domain? Uh, well, let, me, let me get a non-futurist. Today in the age of the, of the coronavirus, I think a person who is handling the future as well as anybody today is now our, our current celebrity, Dr. Anthony Fauci from the National Institutes of Health. Uh, you watch him answer questions, and I actually took a, a section of one of his briefings when he was doing briefings and, and compared it with the reporter's questions. And the reporter's questions were, when are we going to know? How big is it going to get? When do we end this? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he handled each one of those questions very well. And first of all, he respected the question, but he said, well, we really don't know. And to give a number today might have to change it in the future. So he was indicating not just no nothingness, throwing up his hand, saying nobody knows anything. He was providing information that he knew, but it also was in the context of what he did not know. So he did not go further into kind of being an expert. So frankly, I would listen to him and how he handles the future as well as any futurist that I know of today. Ooh, that's an interesting answer. I was so wanting to tune in this morning to see his uh, testimony uh, to the Senate, but obviously we're distracted with other things this morning. Well, I'm so. sure you'll be able to get it on, you know, recorded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that'll be fun to watch. Okay, interesting response there, Peter. All right, our second question. I think this one goes to Katie. If you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be? I'm going to recommend the book that I'm reading right now, which is called Emergent Strategy, which is unlike any strategy book uh, you've probably ever read. It's by Adrienne Marie Brown. And I just love the approach that she takes. It, it's really completely different than the command and control approach to strategy that most of us are familiar with and, and most strategy books would uh would advocate for and it's she really is looking at what do our natural systems tell us about change and and how we can use it to influence a positive future and i'm just finding it fascinating all right so we'll link to that in the show notes for our listeners to to access if they like and our last question so as professional futurists, how do you continue to learn? Who, who do you access online, networks, things like that? I, um, I'm not the traditional futurist and then I'm not really looking for the, what are we call scanning hits, which are little signals of change coming along. Uh, my mind is too small, I think, Thank to you. capture all of that. We encourage people to do it and we teach how to do it. I'm more interested in the, in the history and the future of ideas about how culture changes and how we begin to think of ourselves. I had the, the good fortune to be to go to a Catholic uh, boys school and learn a lot of Latin and Greek and then went in the seminary and got even more Latin and Greek. So I had those kind of uh, major world differences to, to reflect on, plus the, uh, the asceticism and of the 16th century and what that world was like. 
when I finally went to graduate school, I said, wow, this is really different. <laughs> Modern society is people don't appreciate how different that is. So I'm interested in, in that kind of uh, interest uh, of where, where people are talking, what people are talking about, what assumptions they're using and what values they're promoting. We could be on a, on a cusp and a crossroads of that right now. I, I do frankly hope so. And that's where I get my learning from. A lot of long-form journalism, a lot of podcasts, Randy and Lynn, actually. And I'll be tuning into yours from now on. I Mine is going to be a very different answer, but thinking about your audience, um, at KnowledgeWorks, we're, we're working on a project around systems thinking, which is an, an element that we learn about in, in the graduate program and an element of futures thinking. And the Water Center for Systems Thinking is, they have a lot of resources for teachers and the, the people that work there are just amazing thinkers and, and really supporters of, of helping teachers do things differently in their classrooms and in their schools. So I have found myself on that site a lot recently and, and I think it could be useful to your listeners as well. All right, thank you so much for sharing those resources, Peter and Katie. Our last question for you, what's next? What are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, we're do doing a fairly significant organizational development effort right now, pulling these hubs together as a leadership team, and it's been exciting. I've taught about change. I've taught change quite a bit, but actually doing it <laughs> is different than teaching it. But I, and I can't say I'm actually enjoying it, but it has produced some interesting results and insights. And so we're, we're working on that. Uh, but my own personal thing, when we all went into lockdown, I said, I will finally have to step up to do instructional videos. Uh, I am I'm doing that on the side other than running the regular business stuff. So I've got three or four uh, that I've done. The group is reviewing them. And uh, that may be another product and another service that we offer down the line from Teach the Future. So those two things are what my primary work is today. All right. Thanks, Peter. How about you, Katie? So at KnowledgeWorks, we're a national nonprofit organization, and we partner with states and, and districts and schools to help them transform their systems of learning. And so a lot of our organization is really focused on supporting our partners through this really challenging time. And one of the things that that we on the Strategic Foresight team thought about doing was, was trying to, to share with people some of the mindsets and tools of futures thinking that we think can help people make sense of this moment of disruption. So we have on KnowledgeWorks website, some recent blog posts that we that we posted called Futures Thinking Now, and it's taking folks through thinking about uncertainty and examining assumptions and thinking about implications. And we hope that that that, that will be useful to to folks as they're just dealing with so much change in the moment. Um, and we're just trying to be open to to support people, however they they need to be uh, supported in schools. And, and educators. So we, we provided that resource and are just staying open to other opportunities to, to help schools who are doing really challenging work right now. Thank you, Katie. And, and we'll link that into the show notes as well. Well, thank you, Katie and Peter. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might teaching the future to young learners support your work of school transformation? 
If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look season six, episode 40. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Katie. Thank you, Peter. Bye-bye. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.